listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your friendly guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we respond to listener-submitted calls and emails. I will read the questions, and Eric will try to answer them. It's true. We uh, we we didn't read many questions uh, last episode because we were busy doing guitar horror stories. Yup. Yeah. So let's just jump right in and, and do and do questions, shall we? We have okay. plenty. I think we have some calls, even. Let's do it. Let's take a call. Hey, Eric, this is Derek from Bryan, Texas. Uh, I was wondering, I have a 1983 Gibson Johnny Smith archtop, and I was wondering if you could kind of cover the best way to shift that guitar. It's got its original case and all that, so uh, I, was, I was just wondering if you could give me your thoughts on that. Thanks. Bye. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for the call. You know, it's, yeah, I've I've shipped many, many guitars, and I've received many guitars. Right. And it's very frustrating when you get one and it's been poorly packed or worse yet, damaged. So, uh, yeah, it's important to to pack them well. And the biggest tips that I could give you is uh, just pack it like you've bought it on eBay or something and, you, and, and, and pack it like you want to see it packed, you know. Um, the way I do it is, you know, if, if we're dealing with a guitar like that, you know, Gibson, Gibsons are a little more fragile than, right. say, a Telecaster. Right. <clears throat> um, here's what I like to do. I like to detune the strings, not all the way, just about halfway mm-hmm. or so. I like to put a piece of packing paper, like that brown paper, in between the strings and the frets. Oh, Okay. Uh, that guitar, we're, if if we're dealing with an archtop guitar with a removable bridge, uh-huh. take the bridge off. Wow. Uh, wrap it in some bubble wrap, put it in the case pocket, and then put some bubble wrap between the strings and the guitar. Uh-huh. If it fits well in the case, that's great. If it's loose at all pack around the loose areas you know any guitar is going to have voids where there's nothing going on i like to put packing there uh-huh. i like to make sure there's packing around the headstock yeah that makes sense especially with a gibson um so make sure it's nice and tight in the case with bubble wrap or you know some kind of packing material that you're going to use the crinkly paper whatever um bubble wrap's my favorite <clears throat> Uh, so once it's packed in the case, close the case, shake the case. If the guitar is moving around in the case, you didn't do a good enough job, right? You want no movement. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, then I will wrap the whole case in bubble wrap. So, I mean, encased, you know? Yeah. Entombed in bubble wrap. Big, huge sheets of bubble wrap. The one-inch bubbles, I'll wrap it once, tape it all tight, 
wrap it twice, tape it all tight, right? That sounds like how my grandma used to send me Christmas presents. Put it in a box. Well, we're dealing with a valuable guitar here. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. <clears throat> uh, and then, you know, at, at that point, um, it can go in a box. You want to fill all the voids in the box. Same thing. Once you get it boxed up and taped up, shake the box. If you can hear any movement in the box, you haven't done a good enough job. Open it up. Put more stuff in there. It's really nice, if you can, to double box a guitar. Whoa! Yeah. Especially if we're dealing with a guitar with no case. Okay, so you have the guitar wrapped up inside the case. Mm -hmm. You have the case wrapped up inside the box. Yes. Then you put more bubble wrap around the sec around the box and then put it into a second box i like to do that on on an acoustic guitar or on a big archtop guitar that's very hard to do yeah because at that point we're getting into really really big boxes but if it's a valuable electric guitar that fits in an electric guitar box mm-hmm. i i will sometimes then wrap that box in bubble wrap and put it in an acoustic guitar box wow so now we've got I mean, a box, bubble wrap, another box, bubble wrap, a case, bubble wrap, and then the guitar. I mean, this is overkill, but hey, you want it to get there in one piece, man. Right. Didn't you tell me once that a guitar showed up just loose in the box? I've had that before, yeah. That is insane. It's totally insane. Was it damaged? What kind of sick person (laughs) would do that? Oh, and the, the last thing, once it's inside the 30 boxes with bubble wrap, slap fragile stickers all over oh, that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have fragile stickers. And when you take it to the UPS store, slap one on the yeah. the dude's forehead, too. Here's another tip. I like to put the label <clears throat> on the, you know, you, if, if you stand the box up so that it's four feet tall, uh-huh. right? I like to to put the box on the very top. Put the of, label? Put the label, I like to put the label on the very top of the box, not on the broad side of a guitar box, on the very top of a box. Because if you put the label on the very top, you know, the skinny part of the box where uh-huh. the, the headstock is pointing up, Yep. you put the label on top of the box so it's facing the sky, uh-huh. that way it's more likely that whoever's handling that box is going to set it upright to scan it, to whatever, to read the label. So I like to put the label right on the... That's smart. The skinny part of the top of the box. And this side up with arrows, too. I have lots of those. If you don't have fragile stickers or this side up, you know, stickers, get yourself a big red Sharpie. Yep. Big red marker and write fragile all over that thing. Reverb.com has a video, an instructional video on how to ship a guitar. Yeah. You could you could check that out. Personally, I find it lacking. They don't have nearly enough bubble wrap. Well, they stuff <laughs> they stuff the box full of just crumpled up newspaper. Oh, that is inadequate. Newspaper famously is squishy. Like that, yeah. you can crumple it. Bubble wrap. That's your go-to. That's the hot ticket. I don't like styrofoam peanuts. Don't like crumpled up newspaper. Bubble wrap is the hot ticket. There you go. Wrapped several times. Now, it depends on the guitar. If you're shipping a $100 guitar to your cousin, hey, let's just get the job done, right? <laughs> this is not a big deal. That bubble wrap's expensive, man. Uh, if you're shipping a $10,000 arch top, uh, you want to get, you want to get silly. Yeah. You, you want to go nuts. I always want to get silly. You want to go nuts. You want to get the bubble wrap. If you, here's a hot tip. If you go down to Lowe's or Home Depot, your box hardware store, Uh your big box store, they have giant rolls of bubble wrap. Wow. You can go, you know, because sometimes that stuff is hard to find, right? Yeah. I go down to the shipping place here, and I ask them how much their bubble wrap is, and they're like, yeah, it's like $500. And I don't remember how much 
<laughs> I, may, I just made up a number, but it, it might as well have been $500 because they said a number that was so high that I laughed. You thought they were joking. I thought they were joking. They don't want to sell bubble wrap. They want you to bring your guitar to the shipping center oh, they and don't. then they'll box it. They do not know how do to box not, up a guitar. I repeat, do not take your box. Do, do not take your guitar to a shipping center and have them box it for you. It will arrive damaged they, every time. They don't care about your guitar as much as you do. That's right. So this is my dissertation on shipping guitars. I hope it was helpful. What Do, do you have something to say, my dear? I, I don't. Should we take another call? Are you sure? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm feeling bad because I got mad at Melissa today. When Eric gets mad at me, he looks at me and sighs deeply and doesn't say a, anything. It's more of a disappointment <laughs> than anger. And he doesn't say anything about it, but I can tell that he's I, mad. I was just mildly complaining about how busy I was. And she said, you know, you could say no to some of these repairs. And he went like this. <gasps> yeah. And I, I, I mean, I had a point. Yeah. I don't want to. What you don't know is I do say no to a lot of repairs. Mm. Well, not according to the amount of guitars stacked on the stairs leading to my shop. That's, that's a fact. Okay, thanks for your opinion. Here's another call. Hey, Eric and Mel. This is Jason from Mercer Island, Washington. Uh, first, just wanted to say how excited I am for my pinup guitar. I'm sure it's going to quickly mm. become my number one as soon oh, as yeah. it arrives, so looking forward to that. I'm making a guitar um, for Jason. My question cool. is pertaining to finishing fingerboards and the standard convention of spraying maple boards with lacquer and rosewood and ebony boards, finishing them with you know, guitar honey or uh, lemon oil. I guess uh, my question is if you could sort of explain the science behind why that convention is the way that it is. I'm assuming it has something to do with the porousness or lack thereof or the density of these woods, but I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about why it is the way it is. And would it be totally crazy to spray an ebony or rosewood board, or would it be totally crazy to finish a maple board with lacquer? Um, anyways, I'll shut up and uh, look forward to your response. Uh, high five to Mel for all the awesome leather work, and can't wait for my pinup guitar. Take care. Thanks. Oh yeah, thanks, that was Jason. Nice of him. Yeah. Um, that's just the way it's always been done. You know, I mean, that's that's the main. That's my main takeaway from that. Yeah, and uh, who are we to question tra- tradition? Right. So let's move on. Um, rosewood, ebony, traditionally not lacquered. Could you lacquer them? Sure, sure you could. Uh, and uh, it. It has been done. I mean, you see it occasionally. Um, it, it looks really cr- looks really funny to me every time I see it. Um, maple. Uh, it was kind of a. I I I don't think that anybody really used solid maple necks before Fender did it. Um, in the late forties, when they were developing the uh, the early Spanish guitars. I could be wrong about that, but um, Fender kind of broke all the rules, you know, as we all know. Uh, but it it just makes sense to me that you would finish a solid maple neck. Um, the unfinished woods that you traditionally use for a fingerboard like ebony or rosewood, they don't really need a finish. They just need to be oiled. Um, the, they, do, they just don't need a finish. That's part of what makes them the right woods to use for fingerboards is they they don't require a finish. Right. So you just oil them. Uh, what else could I say about it? I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's not like there's some big big hidden scientific secret of for why we don't finish uh, rosewood and ebony and why we do finish maple. That's just... That's just how it's happened over the years, and that's how we uh, continue to do it. But like I said, there's, there's, I've, I've seen it before. I mean, look at Rickenbackers. They use uh, a wood that is none of the above, and they lacquer it. I think it's Pau Faro. Yeah, it looks I... m- looks more like rosewood, but it's lacquered. You Interesting. Know? So I mean, you could you could lacquer the ebony, and some people do, but 
It just there's just no reason for it. It's a it's such a dense ebony is such a dense hard wood. I mean, it is very hard wood. So you just don't need a finish on it because it's not it doesn't wear, you know. Mhm. I mean, it can, but it's 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 very very durable. Thanks for the call, Jason. And with that, we will take some uh, some emails. Here we go. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Looking for a recommendation on quality Telecaster bridges. At the moment, I'm trying to choose between the Godo Vintage and Callaham Vintage. Is the Callaham worth the extra cash? Any thoughts on these two or others you might want to throw into the mix? Also, what bridges do you use in your pinups? Thanks again, Joe from Sydney, Australia. Hi, Joe. Thanks for the question. You know, I hate to do this to you. It's one of those questions I won't answer, and here's why. I won't tell you what bridge I use on my custom builds. Not because it's some big secret, but because they're they're getting very, very hard to find because they've they're out of production oh and so i I have like email alerts set up on all the on all the hip auction sites when one shows up, I just buy it. I have a box of probably fifty of them, but wow. I'm not stopping I'm buying more <laughs> when I see them, I buy them. But they've quit making them, and so uh, I don't want the competition. So I'm not going to tell our thousand-plus listeners. Well, How many listeners do we have? Probably ten. <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to tell you all what bridges I use because I don't want the competition. I'm really sorry about that. But Okay, so go His other question, go to versus Callaham. I've used both. I like both. I think they're great. You know, the funny thing about the original Telecaster bridge is it really wasn't anything fancy. I mean, it's pretty crude, actually. You know, if you think about it. Yeah. Pretty basic. Yeah. I mean, compared to a lot of modern bridges, it's like as as basic as you can get. So, um... Is the Callahan worth the extra cash? Well, that's something I suppose you'll have to decide on. Uh, he, they claim that they use cold rolled steel, which is part of the uh, part of the tone of the vintage bridges. Now, does Goto use cold rolled steel? I don't know. And is it really that big of a deal? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, one thing I don't really like about the Callahan bridges is they look so different. They just have a different, like, they just have a different sheen to them. They're they're kind of bizarre. Hmm. And there's a lot of nice bridges, but you know, it it'll say like something on it, and I yeah. don't want that. Right. I don't want a bridge to say anything. Right. I don't want it to have any text <clears throat> on it. I don't want it to have a brand or any serial numbers or anything. For my personal builds, that's what I want. So it's a decision you'll have to make. Those are both excellent quality bridges. You'll be happy with them. And uh, either one, you know. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really recommend one over the other. They're both great. There Thanks, you go. Joe. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I have a methods of work question. I have been binging on your podcast while recovering from a series of eye surgeries. I have been in bed for over three months. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting up and around now, but I have lost any useful sight in my right eye. Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. I've been building guitars for a couple of years and love it. I'm determined not to let this stop me. After all, Leo Fender only had one eye and he did okay. That's right. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yep. He had a glass eye. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, still, my new visual landscape is pretty challenging. Mm. Measure and marking skills are tough, and I've been spending a lot of time thinking about designing a jig to help line up necks and with center lines. I'm curious if you have any experience with jigs to make the process a little easier on the eyes. Thanks for all you guys do. That's from Lewis. Mm, Lewis. Thanks for the question, man. I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. Uh Making design a jig to help line up necks with center lines. Hmm. Uh, it can absolutely be done. I'm I'm not sure if he means um. I'm not sure if he means a jig to help make the neck or a jig to help install the neck, lining it up with center lines. Oh, I would guess install, but I don't. I guess I don't know. I don't know either. Um, Lewis, I'm thinking, uh, that, uh, it's going to be trial and error for you. Um, I'm sure it could be done, man. I mean, I have plenty of jigs, mostly, you know, most, most of what I deal with is router jigs and, uh, you know, routing neck pockets and pickup cavities and routing all kinds of, all kinds of jazz like that. Right. <clears throat> a lot of what I do when I'm, you know, if, if, if we're talking about installing a neck, a lot of what I do to to uh, to make sure things are centered is is uh, installing all the parts and then clamping it into place and measuring and checking it out and maybe put the outer strings on to see how it looks. Um, I don't really have a jig for that. It's just something that I do, you know, yeah. with, with the existing parts. I mean, to me, the jig, the guitar is kind of the jig, you know. Right. But if you're talking about making necks then, yeah, design your own jigs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have, <laughs> you know, if you've got woodworking experience, it's something that you, uh, you're you going to kind of figure out naturally. It's not something that I, I don't know, I just don't have much advice. I'm not much help, Lewis. I'm sorry. Best best of luck to yes, you, man. Yes, good and, luck. And uh, uh, if you get some, if you make some progress, I would love to hear about it. Maybe send me some pictures. Eric and Melissa, I am the original owner of a 1979 Gibson Les Paul Artisan triple humbucker guitar that has developed several surface crack, surface or finish cracks over the decades. I've had the cracks checked by a local guitar repair service and was told that they are indeed cracks in the finish and not body damage because the cracks do not follow the grain of the body. One crack extends about an inch forward of the pickup selector switch and about two inches aft of the switch. The, uh... The other longer one extends back from the lower post of the tailpiece for nearly the remaining length of the body. The guitar still plays and sounds great. I've never been a fan of the glossy neck, but I have resisted the temptation to sand down the finish to give the neck a more satin feel. I will get an Eric Daw custom guitar to solve that problem. Oh, right on. I've got two questions. One, regarding the instrument's value, is it better to leave the guitar in its current condition, it is 100% stock, or to have these cracks repaired? Number two, I've seen similar issues with several Gibson Les Pauls of the same era. Do you think Gibson was experimenting with less expensive or more efficient finishing materials or methods in the late 70s, or is this just from the ravages of time? Thanks for all you do. Todd from South Carolina. Thanks, Todd. Um, yeah, regarding the instrument's value, it is better to leave the guitar alone. Um, a finish crack is m- much more preferable to a finish repair. Yeah. When it comes to value. So absolutely, I would leave that alone. Uh, he says he's seen similar issues with several Gibson Les Pauls of the same era. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, Gibson has always used nitrocellulose lacquer. You know, a lot of companies, um, switched over to different finishes that, you know, polyurethane or water-based lacquer or, um, UV cured finishes. There's all kinds of different finishes. Gibson, at least on their high end, you know, on their main guitar line has always used nitro lacquer. To to my knowledge. So they weren't experimenting with weird finishes. It's just that nitro lacquer cures very hard. And then the wood shrinks and expands. And it's under stress. The lacquer does not shrink and expand. So you end up with cracks. 
It's just part of having a vintage Gibson. Right. Fender, too. Yeah, vintage guitar. Yeah, I mean, any vintage guitar painted in old-school lacquer will develop finish cracks over time. So just embrace it. It's part of the beauty of a vintage guitar, and uh, leave it alone. That's that's my opinion. Thanks, Todd. Howdy, Eric and Melissa. I'm a longtime listener and a huge fan of the show. Thank you for the entertainment and the information. I just came across an article in Guitar World magazine, including a quote with possibly the most preposterous guitar tone pseudoscience I've come across to date. The claim was that the metallic bits in a silver, a silver burst finish, like do something to the magnetic fields or something, man. I just had to pass it along because it made me think of you. I'm now listening to some of my favorite records to see if I can distinguish the silver burst finished guitars from the rest. Oh, yeah. I suspect it really makes the sales jargon cut through the mix. I'm looking forward to the next episode. That's from Matt. Yeah. I had to click on the article. He sent me the article. It's so absurd. I mean, of all the absurd things people say about guitar tone I, this does take the cake man this guy claims that the metallic bits in a metallic finish do something to the tone wow it's adam jones of tool oh well that explains which it. is a very appropriately named band <laughs> he says and i quote the finish does something to the tone or the resonance or the polarity somehow. Nice. That's a quote. Nice. Does something to the tone or the resonance or the polarity somehow. I mean, that just, that's some, that's hard to argue with that. <laughs> that's just science. It just does something or something. It's absurd. Yeah. It's beyond absurd. Should we take a break? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured guitar pick of the day and reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. Hey, guitar nerds. You probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account. That's at Melco Leather. Visit MelcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MelcoLeather.com. M-E-L-C-O Leather.com. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my websites, ericdaw.com, that's more the repair side of things, that's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration. You know, maybe you don't have somebody in your area, or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody. And the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's pinup, like pinup girl, P-I-N-U-P. I offer worldwide service uh, on repairs. People send me repairs from all over the country and, uh, well, even internationally. And I definitely send guitars all over the world. So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more, that's how to check it out. ericdaw.com and pinupcustomguitars.com. Hi, Eric, Melissa, and boys. I hope you're all well. 
Since having my confidence boosted after successfully repairing the disaster from down under, that's the 1941 0-17 horror story, mm-hmm. I thought I might have a crack at a Blackguard T-style build. I'm actually very happy with how it has turned out for my first attempt, and I have found the whole process really enjoyable. Yeah, you know, he sent me pictures of this finished guitar, and it looks great, I gotta say. Cool. I gotta say, Andy, this... it. You knocked it out of the park. It looks great. Cool. Uh, I finished the neck and all parts TMO fat with an old jar of shellac I mixed up years ago. Amber shellac flakes and methylated spirits. Our speak. Denatured alcohol. Your speak. Oh, this feller is from, uh, from, from Australia. I am going to start labeling my denatured alcohol methylated spirits. Methylated spirits. I keep mine in a whiskey bottle. Do you really? I do. Uh, I gave the neck some very slight relicking to match your, the body's wear, dings, and crazing. My intention originally was to do a B, oh, a broadcaster style. Yeah. But the features of the parts I have used, uh, body route, 12th fret dot spacing, Phillips head screws, make it more like a 1953 T-style guitar. I decided to wire the pickups using the old blend circus and circuit, and I have found I like it a lot. Well, that's actually the first time anyone's ever said to me they like the old blend circuit, but I knew I knew people were out there. I knew yeah. you were out there, Andy. Uh, sourcing the right parts in Australia isn't easy, so it ended up a well-traveled guitar even before being finished. Hmm. A body made in the Netherlands, bought secondhand from Brisbane, a neck made in Japan, purchased... Purchased from Axe Caster in the UK, along with a nice set of heavy knurled knobs and bone nut, a bridge from Tricked Out Guitars in the States, and a set of old Seymour Duncan Alnico Pro 2 pickups, CTS pots, etc. bought in Victoria. Is that Canada? Or yeah. probably Australia. Vic- there's a Victoria, Australia. Yeah. Uh, it has gone together really well. I have tried to keep the aging of the parts minimal as some relicking can look way overcooked to me. Yeah, me too. All it needs now is one of your beautiful lacquered Bakelite guards to finish it off. So, Eric, some questions. Number one, can your guards be purchased with the screw holes not drilled as I would prefer not to redrill the holes in the body? Or can you say what spacing your holes are based on? Is that Fender yeah. USA, Mexico, all parts guard? Do you want to take these one at a time? Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, if you wanted to order one of my um, uh, lacquered Bakelite guards, I would, I'd make one without holes in it, but uh, it's based on an original it's based on the original layout of the of a 50s telly so um i don't know what the, i don't know if if that'll line up with all parts or what i just don't know here's the thing they they vary <clears throat> they really do vary i just sent i just sent a pit guard to a guy and he was thrilled with it except that the pickup didn't quite line up with the Aww. hole in the pit guard, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I do this for a living. I've seen this a billion times. It's not a big deal. I mean, this is how telly pit guards go. Because the pickup is mounted to the wood, the neck pickup is mounted to the wood, um, and the pickup route is bigger than the pickup, so that thing can be anywhere. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And telly pit guards they they don't always have the they don't always have the pickup hole in the exact same place. So he was a little upset because the pickup was just a little bit off. So I said, Well, you have to take the pickup out, fill the holes, re drill and move the you know, if you wanna use the guard that I sent you. Or you can return the pit guard. You know. Wow. So not everything that my point is the holes may or may not line up. Even if I tell you, yes, it's based on yeah. an original guard. So the the pick guard fit on the pickup. It was just off center? Yes. Oh. So he needs to move his pickup. Okay. Which he may or may not do. I haven't heard back from that guy. Mm. Um but uh the point is 
They're all different. Your mileage may vary. Yeah. Because even Fender has changed, you know, over the years, like one of the holes moves just a little bit or, you right. know, so, so there's that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're uptight about having to drill new holes in your, in your parts caster, then yeah, I can certainly make one without holes, but so you'll need to drill the holes and, uh, and I'm assuming just from his question here, he has the right tools to do it, but yeah. you'll have to, you'll have to bevel have to bevel the uh, the holes as well. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure he has the the tools to do it. If mm-hmm. he builds a whole Telecaster, I'm yeah, sure he huh. can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, question two: Should I be putting a coat of lacquer over the shellac? I prefer not to, as I like the look and feel as it is. Shellac is an adequate finish. Um, it's a great finish, so you know you can if you want, but. If you prefer not to, then don't. Cool. And question number three. I'd love to know your thoughts on the old broadcaster blend circuit. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <coughs> well, it, it, most people don't like it. That's 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 my main thought. Um, uh, I, I Personally, I don't like it. I find it unusable. Um, I mean, I've designed my own... T- wiring for these kind of guitars you know that that i like yeah i have a five-way switching system that i use so i can get different out of phase sounds and you know that i don't know that i it's not my thing i don't like it but i knew there were people that liked it and there and here you are there you are andy (laughs) uh number four any words of advice for first-time builders or suggestions my build could use to make it better Many thanks. Take care of each other, guys. Andy from Deniliquin, Australia. I see a lot of people uh, who make parts guitars and they get body from company A and neck from company B. And then they they spray finish. They get it all ready to go. And they get they go to put the neck on and the neck doesn't quite fit right in the pocket Mm -hmm. but the first time that they put the neck in the pocket was after everything's been painted so check the fit before Ah. you start doing a whole bunch of other stuff yeah um a sloppy fit there's not a whole lot you can do about but a, a fit that's too tight it's way easier to overcome that problem before you finish, right? So you can uh, you can you can make the neck pocket just a little bit bigger so that the neck fits. You want a nice, good, tight fit, but I've seen them. You know, you get Company A and Company B, one neck, one body, and I've seen them before where you know the neck doesn't even fit in the pocket. It's just too tight to get in there. Yeah. So check out the fit on all your parts. If we titled our episodes, this would be One Neck, One Body. Oh. (laughs) I don't know what that means. Uh, Okay. Well, thanks, Andy. Good luck with your build. Hi, Eric and Melissa. What steps would I need to take to tune my guitar lower? Looking for B tuning. Would this be considered a baritone? Finally, is it fine for the guitar to stay this way over time? Or or over time, will it hurt the guitar? Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, that's really low, man. B tuning, B like B to B. Yeah, that that is that's baritone tuning. And if you want a standard scale guitar to be tuned that low, um, I mean we're kind of pushing the limits of what guitars are, what that scale length will do, uh-huh. right? I mean it can be done, but. Uh, yeah, you'll have to widen out the nut slots and use really fat strings and then set it up for that tuning. So everything will need to be re-intonated. Everything will need to be adjusted. Your action, your intonation, the, the truss rod, the, the nut slots will have to be widened out to accept the fat strings. Um, so 
you know, if you ever go back, then yeah, you'll, you'll need a new nut. So it's, it's a little bit more involved than just winding the tuner down. Right. Just tuning the string down. That's a super low tuning. That is super low. Yeah, it might be better just to get a baritone, but I mean, I get a, a lot of people bring me their guitars and say, hey, set this up for, you know, open C. It can be done, but um, we're like, like I say, we're pushing the limits of of what that scale length is is designed for. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. <clears throat> Hi, Eric and Melissa. I've been teaching myself to do some guitar repairs by picking up cheap guitars that need work. I just bought a Gretsch with a cracked neck. The neck is splitting. There are cracks that start at the joint with the body and run run along each side toward the headstock and away from the fretboard. The cracks stop before they reach the backside of the neck, so I will have to finish breaking it before I can fix it. Whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> that's that's not a thing. I don't think the crack in, intersects the truss rod channel, at least not much. I initially thought about removing the fretboard, fretboard first, but now I'm leaning towards the idea of tightening the strings until I can work a thin spatula to split it through. <laughs> How would you go about oh, this? Lewis, Thanks, Lewis. I would not recommend... Breaking it more. That's not that's not something I've ever done. Uh, maybe maybe that's maybe some people have. I don't know. That's that's this does not sound like a sound method to to me though. Um, if it's truly a crack and not just in the finish, right? Yeah. Uh, you should be able to work glue in there into a crack. If it's an open crack. You should be able to work glue into it without breaking it more. Um, that's just something that, you know, guitar repair guys do all the time. I well, mean, that, So how do you see glue into a crack? Well, <clears throat> um, with uh, pneumatic pressure, basically. So mm -hmm. um, you you should be able to, if it's an open crack, you should be able to put stress on it so that it opens up as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And then with a finger, like with your thumb, you just rub glue into it. And, and just the process of sliding glue past the crack drives it in okay, to the crack. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. On a crack like that where you have to work on it like that, I, pref I prefer to use hide glue but on a crack like this, where it takes more time, hide glue sets up too quickly. Hot hide glue sets up too quickly. So you really have to use something like tight bond on on a crack like that. Hmm. Yeah. Don't break it, Lewis. I mean, maybe some guys work like that. I don't know what everybody does. I'm just one repair guy, but I've been doing this a long time, and I've never, I've never looked at a neck crack. I've never... <laughs> I've never had a guitar on my bench with a crack in the neck and thought, well, I'm just going to break this the rest of the way. That's what I would do. To fin it, to, to repair it. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I'm interested in trying to make a Telecaster-style guitar from scratch, and I was wondering if I needed to let the wood sit for a long time before building it. Well, where are you getting the wood? <laughs> my fear. Like you just cut down a tree in your yard <laughs> and you're going to make a guitar out of it? <laughs> My fear is that if I buy maple from a hardwood supply company, that the neck will be as crooked as a politician in about a year. Yeah. Thanks for the podcast. Love you guys. Nick. Um, when you, well, you know, yeah, it needs to be, it needs to be dried. Absolutely. It needs to be seasoned. So, uh, but if you buy it, if you're buying it from a hardwood company, I would imagine they're not selling green wood. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. That is that possible that they'd be selling green wood? If you're going to buy maple, um, it, well, and here's the thing. If you buy it from a hardwood supply company, ask them. Yeah. If they're not able to tell you. You can also buy, like, a, it's for firewood. It's like a little humidity tester. Mm -hmm. It's got two little spikes, two little probes you stick in the end of your wood to see how humid it is in there. Yeah. To to test the um, 
moisture content. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. probably not a good way to judge, though. Yeah, I would ask your supplier, and if they can't tell you, then find a different supplier. But, um, you know, you, you, sh- you shouldn't have a hard time buying already, you know, dried and seasoned wood. A, a lot of it's kiln-dried. Yeah. Yeah. We live in 2019. Yeah, you shouldn't have a hard you time shouldn't... buying that. Yeah, your wood's fine, Nick. Uh, my wife got me a Nashville Telecaster with a Bigsby for my birthday. I love how it looks, but I do like to get my hands in there and customize things. Plus... Wait. Wait. <laughs> what? <clears throat> Can you start again? Yeah. I'm so sorry. My wife got me a Nashville Telecaster with a Bigsby for my birthday. That's what I thought you said. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I love how Long-time it looks. Long-time listeners to the show might... No, stop. <laughs> okay. We love everybody. If you play guitar, this is your place. We love you. I love how it looks, but I do like to get my hands in there and customize things. Plus, the volume pot wasn't very subtle when I used it, so that was just the excuse I needed. I ordered all new electronics and some Dogtown hand-wound pickups. After replacing the electronics, I gave it a setup as instructed by a local local guitar builder. Uh, when I got to setting my saddle height on my Mastery M4 bridge, I started worrying that the screws would go out of the bottom before I was able to raise it high enough. Five sixty-fourths <laughs> of an inch is what he recommended on the low E side. I got it close and the fret buzz stopped, so I stopped too. Then I started to adjust my intonation, and that's when I realized that I had already threaded the screws all the way through the saddle. Now I'm wondering, which is the better solution? Using longer screws or shimming the neck? With longer screws, do you think that would cause the saddles to rock when I use the Bigsby? Thanks for all your help, and I love the podcast. That's from Greg. Thanks, Greg. Be nice. I have nothing mean to say. I'm trying to... F- I'm trying to... F- I'm. Not- why would I say anything mean? <laughs> why do you... Why would you say that? Do you think I'm... Do you think I'm preparing something mean in my brain to say to Greg? Greg, I have nothing mean to say, my friend. Um, It's just that... See, Melissa is, is reacting to the fact that she knows that I... That I don't like tellies with Bigsby's. That's all. Now, with that being said, okay, and now don't be offended. You know, some people don't like chocolate ice cream. Okay. There's no reason to be upset if you like chocolate ice cream. There would be no reason for you to be upset that I don't like chocolate ice cream. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. It has no it has no bearing on your life. Okay. So you have a telly with a Bigsby. <clears throat> the problem you run into uh, on a telly with a Bigsby is that it wasn't really designed for a Bigsby, right? So you end up having to do weird things like shimming the neck to make the saddle height work, okay? Um, not a big deal, not the end of the world. So many Fender-style guitars have shims in the neck, it's just not a big deal. Some people get uptight about this, like, oh, there's a shim in the neck. There goes all my tone. No, it's not a big deal at all. Absolutely, I would shim the neck just a little bit. Um, that will... <clears throat> uh, that that should help you. I wouldn't use taller screws, you know. Uh, that's... If if the if you've if you've threaded the screw all the way through the post of the mastery bridge, then um, then yeah, you need you need to adjust the uh, the pitch of the neck of your neck. You can you know a lot of people just use something as simple as a guitar pick to shim a neck. That's a pretty basic thing to do. You're not that guy. You're going to use something a little nicer. You're going to use <laughs> you're going to use maybe a little piece of wood veneer, or if you're really hip, you could go to Stumac's website and order their full pocket neck shims, right? Wow. They have those? Yeah, so it's like paper thin on one end, 
and then varying thicknesses it wedges out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool. Uh, so yeah, that's what I would recommend. Shim the neck to to make that work, and then uh, because you've got a Bigsby, graphite in your nut slots is going to be even more imperative than your average player. Make sure you put some graphite in those nut slots. That's going to help you stay in tune better when you when you move the Bigsby. The strings need to be able to glide through the nut, right? Yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna roll on those little graphite particles. So yeah, shim the neck, set it up. You're gonna be good, man. It's gonna be good to go. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating in the show. We love it. If you have questions, go to ericdaw.com. You can submit your question or comment for the podcast there. Click the contact link at ericdaw.com. The other way to do it is to text or call 757-774-8482. And uh, we'll use that as part of the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Good night. Good night.